What we're going to do tonight is we're going to read. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Let me just first explain this actually. First, it's Jesus at a party and he's speaking to a group of Pharisees. And this is what he tells them. Pharisees were Jewish people. They were really religious people. And this is what Jesus says to them. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. He said also to the man, that is Jesus, he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet... Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have bought five oxen, yoke of oxen, and I am going to examine them. Please excuse me. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's word. I want to ask you a question. What is the greatest party you've ever been to? What is your favorite party? When you go back in your memory and you think about it, what is your favorite party? Maybe it's a children's party you went to when you were younger. Maybe it's a party you've had as a student. Maybe it's a wedding. What was it that made it so great, that made it so special, that you liked it so much? As you think through that, I've had more time to do that, so I've got two. I have one from when I was six years old, and I have one that was my wedding. For very different reasons, they are my favourite. One of them had a bouncy castle. Unfortunately, not the wedding. Not for a lack of trying, but it was not the wedding. It was a great party. I was six years old. I just got the Beano annual. I had friends and family, and it was a wonderful day. I was on top of the world. And the other was my wedding day. Imagine, islanders, Kaylee music. Your father-in-law had handed out free drink tokens for the bar. Some of them may have thought it was heaven. It was a fantastic night. And the reason I'm asking for your greatest party memory is that Jesus says heaven is like a party. It's like a great banquet, a great feast. He doesn't compare it to kind of clouds and harps and cherubim floating around. He compares it to a great feast, and it sounds just brilliant. And what we read tonight is Jesus telling about this great party, 
at the house he's at, and he's telling the people there that they have this invite, this chance to go, and they're blowing it. It takes place at one of the houses of the Pharisees. These were the most Jewish of Jewish people. They were a stickler for the law. And they know that the party, that heaven, is a fantastic party. And Jesus is telling them that they're not invited. They are invited, and the shock is that they're not going to get in. They know that God is throwing this great banquet, and there's a massive shock for them. Look at verse 15. Look what the guy says. This party was a great, wasn't a great party, but it was sure a memorable party because it's quite tense. Jesus and the Pharisees didn't get on that well. And I don't know if you have one of those awkward friends who can't stand any silence, who can't stand any awkwardness. I think this man was like that because after Jesus tells them off for who they should be inviting to parties, this man just blurts out, verse 15, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So they know about this great banquet, this great feast, this great party, and there's a shock for them. But to get to that stage, we don't know our Bibles like these guys know their Bibles and what it says about this great banquet. So I'm going to have three verses put up on the screen behind me from Isaiah chapter 25. This is where God talks about this great banquet, this great feast, and what it's like. And this is, this is what Jesus is talking about in the verses we read earlier. This is the great banquet. Verse 6 to 8 of chapter 25. God says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. There's just this Big language, just massive. There's going to be wine flowing. There's going to be food in abundance and is invited for all people. And he says, at this party, he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. And that is, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. This is not your normal feast. This is not a normal party. It's greater than the one that you've been thinking of while I've been talking these last five minutes. It's greater than my six-year-old party. Even greater than my wedding. This feast stands high above any party or any feast you can think of. He tells us it's a place where there is no death, where there are no tears, and it's open to everyone. God promised to get rid of death forever, where there'll be no crying. This is the great feast all of us are invited to. And it's something that's not spoken about much in our culture, in our offices, in our homes. Whenever it comes up, death, we feel quite tight, we feel a bit nervous, a bit anxious. But death is something that comes to every single one of us. It affects every single person here tonight. Whether that be friends that you've lost, maybe family. Death is like this incoming storm that just rolls over and there's nothing we can do about it. It's something that just keeps trudging forward 
and forward. I mean, we try with healthy living, we try with medicines and new technology, all the wisdom of the history of the people's shoulders that we stand on, and there's nothing that we do, a hundred out of a hundred of us, succumb to it. It comes slowly and just marches on. So he promises to get rid of death, but he promises to get rid of tears. Tears will be gone forever. The reason we cry are just the imperfections of the world around us, the cracks that we see, the not-quite-thereness of life. I'm not a morbid person. I enjoy life. I enjoy living a good Netflix series. I enjoy football. I enjoy eating food, being with friends, being with family. But sometimes it feels just short of the mark. That we just see kind of cracks in it and kind of grief in being lonely in death and depression and pain and stress and anxieties and being let down by people constantly. Everybody knows it. Every single door on the street feels it. And yet nobody speaks about it and it's still there. So if you think life is good, it doesn't last. Death hangs over it like a cloud. And it sounds dark and it sounds morbid, but why I'm saying this is because that makes what Jesus offers all the more glorious, all the better. A place where there is no death, a place where there is no tears. What Jesus offers is an opportunity to know God. A place that we're all kind of yearning for and desperate for. And deep down, we would love a place with no death and tears, regardless of how much we talk about it. So this is the great banquet that Jesus is talking about. This is the great party. And he invites all people to it. So as I said, God is throwing this great party and Jesus has a shock for the people. And the shock is that people turn it down. The people who heard about it and knew from Isaiah how good it was turn it down and they make excuses. So let's have a look at some of these excuses from 16 onwards. The invite has been sent out. I don't know how many of you are like me, but when you get a Facebook invite, it's something that just sits there. I wait. I wait to see who else is going. I wait to see if it'll be worth it. I'll wait to see if I even want to bother going. It just kind of sits there. Well, this is the first century equivalent of that. They make some really, really poor excuses. But it's actually slightly worse than what we would do. What's happened here is that they've been invited, they've RSVP'd, yes, yes, we'll come. And the host goes and gets food, he gets entertainment sorted, he gets the nachos and the dip, he gets the quinoa. And then the master sends the servant and says, we're ready, we're ready for you, come. They've been waiting for this invite, and now come the excuses. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and must go see it. Please have me excused. He hasn't seen the field before he's bought it. 
It's like going on eBay, seeing a house, except there's no picture, there's no comments, there's no reviews, bidding on the house, buying the house, signing the paperwork, and then going to visit the house to see if it's worth it. It's a really lame excuse, and it's actually slightly rude. That's not it. Then the second guy comes along, verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to examine them. Please excuse me. Now, I don't know much about cattle herding in the Middle East, but I know a lot about sheep herding on the Isle of Lewis. And I know for certain you would not buy a sheep without having searched every single inch of it. Never mind five, and never mind five oxen, five cows, without having seen them. Another lame excuse. And then the third, by far the worst excuse. Verse 20. And I say this because actually this is an excuse that men use in this church to not come to five-a-side football on a Thursday night. (laughs) They say, I have married a wife and therefore cannot come. It's a seriously poor excuse. And do you see that he doesn't even ask like the others to be excused. It's just downright rude. Three people invited to this wonderful, glorious-sounding party and three really lame excuses. Now, the question that should be raised if this party is so wonderful, with food and wine flowing, why on earth would anyone say no? What is it that makes them decline the invite, the, to reject this invite, to not accept it? Well, in this story, you have to realize that the master is God, the servant is Jesus, and the Pharisees standing right in front of him are those who are invited to the glorious banquet and making these lame excuses. The people who should know how wonderful the party is are the people who are turning it down. They know how good it is. And the banquet is ready and they reject the invite. And to see why, to see why they would reject this, we look back at verses 12 to 14. This is Jesus talking to them. And it's because he sees right to their heart why they reject it. He says to them, he said to the man who had invited him, verse 12, When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The reason they're turning it down is because they care more about inviting their rich friends and their rich family, people who can make their life better now. They use their invites to kind of boost their life now, to boost their social life or their financial life. They invited people that would make them, their life better now. And Jesus says, don't care about what will help you here. Care about what will help you at the resurrection of the just The resurrection from the death that encamps every single one of us. What he's saying is, care about eternity and not now. Care about this great banquet, this great feast, this great party that is offered to you. He's saying you care about fields and cows and social status. Not about the great party 
that you've been offered. You're turning down the glorious, death-free, tears-free banquet because you want a better life now. Life now is more important than that. And it's easy to look at these excuses and say they are lame. But this is exactly the same for people today in Scotland, in Edinburgh, and for some in here tonight, caring more about now than what actually matters. This great banquet invitation is offered, and people are turning it down. I doubt it's for fields or cows, but by turning down this invitation, it's saying something else is more important to me than God. More important than this heavenly party. So that's what I want to ask you tonight. That's what I want to drive at. And this will be my one point for the rest of what I talk about. When you consider death and tears will be no more, what on earth tops that? What is stopping you from accepting this invitation? Jesus is saying, don't care about this earthly life. It'll end. What is the one thing that stops you right now from giving your life to Jesus? From taking his generous invitation that he offers to you? The guys who are being baptized tonight, some of you know them, some of you are their friends. They've seen what Jesus offers and they say it's better than anything in this life. They've accepted the invitation because they think that is better. What Jesus offers is better. So what's your excuse? I think sometimes the Christian life is looked at as kind of a dredgy funeral procession. But it's not. Jesus says it's a banquet. It's a party. It's a wonderful thing. So what's your excuse? I would, but I'm just too busy just now to properly think about it. I've got uni going on. I've got work. Life is just frantic. I'll think about it later. When I'm older, I might think about it. Or once I'm secure and have life sorted and have a home or a house or a wife or a husband and a family. Or I would, but I want to have fun. Please have me excused. I want to live life now and have fun. I'll accept on my deathbed when I've got nothing left to lose. Please have me excused. The lame excuses from the Pharisees came because they wanted the here and now more than the eternity that was promised to them in this party. So put it on the scales. What is better than this offer? What could possibly be better than this offer? Is it friends? Is it a job? Is it partying? A uni degree? How people would treat you? How people would act towards you? Why would you turn it down? Or it may be that you just don't feel ready to respond to the invite. You don't feel that you know enough. You're just asking big questions. That's good. Asking questions is a really good thing. How do I know this is the real deal? What makes Christianity the only way? What makes Christianity different from any other religion? 
And to this I would say, it is a great question, but at the very least, look at the invite. At the very least, look at what it says and what it offers. We'll have Bibles and other eyewitness accounts like the one we've read from tonight at the back if you want to take them with you and have a look at it. It's a great thing, and we'd really appreciate that. Because God knows that we ask these questions. Look, this gospel, this book that we've read from tonight is written so we will have certainty in what we believe. God gives us that so we'll have certainty in what we believe. And I'll just say, don't use your questions as a way to intellectually fob off, as a kind of postponement technique. Because if you understood the magnitude of what is offered, you would research it day and night, desperate to know if it's real or not. Don't put it off. And the reason I say that is because of verse 24, just at the bottom of what we've read tonight. The most challenging part of this section is Jesus has been telling this story and he almost steps out of the story and speaks directly to the people who are in front of him, who he's been speaking to. He says, for I tell you, and it's a plural you, it's like a y'all. He says, I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. That this offer is generous. This offer is wonderful. The inviter is eager, but the offer isn't forever. There has to be a response. It's not like a Facebook invite that you can just leave and leave. The offer is there and you have to accept it. Because the death storm rolls forward and we have no idea what tomorrow brings or next week or next year. The offer is right in front of you tonight in what these words say and what I'm saying in the testimonies and the stories we're going to hear from the four guys who are going to be baptized later. What is your excuse? Now I'll just finish by looking at how great this offer is. If you look down at verse 21, I'll just run through the rest of what we didn't read. What happens is some say no and reject it with really lame excuses. And then he goes out into the fields and countryside. He goes to the streets and lanes. Invites the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And the servant comes back and says, I've done it. I've done all you commanded. Invited everyone that I could find in the cities. The people you wouldn't expect. Not the do-gooder. Not the good, good person. The least likely person to get an invite got an invite and came. And then the master says, God says, verse 23, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. God wants people at his feast. He wants people to come and accept this banquet offer that he has given people to accept this invitation, people to accept Jesus who went to a cross for this invitation to be possible, who died for us to have this offer. The banquet invitation is wonderful. He's compelling us to come to this glorious banquet, this generous invitation, this eager inviter. 
He's not just happy for people coming. He wants his house filled. But he says there will be people who reject it with lame excuses. Both Isaiah and Jesus tell us it's offered to all, that is everyone here tonight, to all nations. The only question is, are you going to respond to this invitation? The only reason you won't be there is because you don't accept Jesus' invitation. Because you're going to lose everything. Everything you've ever wanted will come and go. And what God offers is unlosable. The wonderful feast is better than a wedding. There's better wine and food and cheer. There's no death. There's no tears. There's no brokenness that we feel. And it's life with God. The banquet invite is there. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great banquet offer that we have. We thank you for the price that was paid for us to have this. We see, Lord, how good it is what you have offered us. And we pray that we'd understand this more and we'd love you more for it. 